Welcome back, guys, to the Pod of Greed. That's right. Another week, another uh, chance to talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! Talk about card games. Or whatever else we got. Interesting stories this week as well. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, a couple of like odd ones I just didn't expect to to see. Um, some video game stuff, some weird card game stuff. I had some interesting questions to the pot today. Yeah, I can't wait to answer those. So, uh, before we get started, I wanted to highlight a review, actually, that we got on Apple Podcasts. Oh, just a wild, unprovoked uh, review, huh? Just... Well, I mean, we appreciate when you guys send reviews and uh, obviously rate the podcast five stars. This person says, casual, friendly, nerdy, fun. Because then you're supposed to like add tags when you do it. Oh. I've always enjoyed their friendly and informed opinions on Yu-Gi-Oh! as well as their reactions to current events in TCG and OCG. Lately, they've branched out to include news and their own experiences with other card games such as Magic the Gathering, One Piece, and Digimon, and I'm really excited. Magic has always been my number one card game since the 90s, so hearing a newcomer's perspective who also happens to know a lot about card game mechanics and markets is interesting. Learning about the changes in other games helps me keep up with my friends who play those. They'll also have more guests soon. Great podcast. Oh, cool. more, yeah, more guests soon. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Soon. Well, actually, we might have one soon. Um, so anyways, yeah, thank you guys for that. I appreciate the review. If you guys ever do leave reviews, I'll try to maybe like read one at the start of each podcast because it oh, makes me feel good. It makes you feel good. Yeah. That's what it is. It makes. doesn't make you feel good? Huh? Anywho. All right. Well, we've got Yu-Gi-Oh! news. Yes. Yu-Gi-Oh! things. But in a TCG and digitally. Yeah. So, um, the first big one is that YCS Richmond was this past weekend and um, YCS Yu-Gi-Oh is a rich man's game. Some would call it that too. <laughs> so first of all, congratulations to Joseph Bellafiore. I hope I said that right. <laughs> he played his Unchained deck and defeated every duelist that stood in his way in his journey to become a YCS champion. So he's going to be taking home uh, the incredible trophy and an ultra copy of another verse, Glutonia, as well as many other fantastic prizes. And wasn't it an unchained mirror match at the end? It was an unchained mirror match. Very interesting. Um, also, shout-outs to Pac, who, you oh, know, yeah. everyone's kind of favorite his, uh... competitive content creator. He got fourth place, mm-hmm. or I guess like tied for fourth place, um, top four at the YCS. He was playing a Sinful Spoils... Infernoble. Infernoble deck, which... Um, that deck really looked cool. like hell to pilot. It did. I actually, I remember there was a little bit of controversy around a couple of like sort of slight misplays that he'd made mm-hmm. um, on like in his feature matches. And I know some people were kind of not so happy about that. Like they were claiming that he was cheating. So this is something I think anybody who has gone to locals enough times, you've, you've probably noticed that Yu-Gi-Oh players have this funny relationship with, uh, like misplays and cheating. Yeah. Because off it's a misplay if you do it, right? If I misplay, it's a misplay. But if my opponent misplays, they try to cheat me. Yeah. And then people have will take that same thought and they'll project it onto these pro players where like you actually think you realize that these pro players actually take an immense amount of pride in their ability to play this game. Yeah, I, I think the thing with it for me, because I saw a lot of people were, you know, claiming like he's cheating, he should be like punished for this, he didn't get punished for this, um, and I know he made some statements about the whole thing. It was interesting because it's like, it reminded me a lot of how it is to make like dual videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. We know all about this, right? Like, we just made loads of like casual kind of, um, you know, fun duels and things like that, right? 
But uh, even in those, like, you'll always get so many comments yeah. where it's just like, you know, uh, you misplayed here, here, and here. Or, like, you cheated here, here, and here. Like, that was illegal. And it's interesting because, like, you can see where even just the slight difference in verbiage, yeah, like, <clears throat> it sort of suggests intent. Like, it's kind of one thing if somebody says, oh, I think, like, you made a mistake here and whatever. But it, when they, when they, they're, when words like, you know, you illegally activated that card. It's just a harsher word because it kind of, you know, it implies that, you know, like he meant to do that. We've even had some really extreme comments where people are like, yeah, like so-and-so cheated in this duel. I can't believe he would like try to screw his friends over. It's like, and it's like, bro, like we're having like some freaking fun duels with like some eBay decks or whatever. But it did remind me of that when people were saying that about him because like they were kind of assuming this really malicious intent mm -hmm. or, or that, you know, like that's right. He was trying to like cheat his opponent and all these things and activate this effect a billion times. And it's just kind of like, I think what people really need to take away from these situations is that a like innocent until proven guilty. Like that's uh, that always be anywhere. Yeah. I know on the internet, that's like the, uh, this foreign concept, internet, real life. True. Um, that's like this foreign concept to a lot of people. And then also um, just, you know, like, Give people the benefit of the doubt. Yu-Gi-Oh! is hard. I mean, there's there are easier things we could all be doing with our time. And um, to go up to choose to compete at Yu-Gi-Oh! at its highest levels, week in, week out, some you're gonna make a mistake somewhere. Yeah. It just and, will happen. And it's gonna be on camera. And I also think like, you know, this pressure being in those feature matches, right? You're on camera, you're on stage, or you're kind of at this isolated table. And just, like, I, and I've mentioned it so many times before, but I have to reiterate, there's a lot to keep up with in this game. Yeah, I mean, like, I think a lot. I watched um, quite a few of the feature matches from YCS Richmond. I remember watching um, Doug's game, uh, DZ. Mm -hmm. He was running his, um, up. Uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name of the archetype. What One of the, like, Exosisters? Exosisters. He, yeah, like he running Exosisters. And he activated an effect, and he, but he didn't have an appropriate um, Exosister name. Mm -hmm. for the effect and you know it's, it's an oversight and that's just it just it is it it's just how happens. it is like like because there's so many things like you know pot of prosperity is the example i always give right like, the effect is actually pretty simple despite having a lot of text on it mm -hmm. but it also says like you can't draw for the rest of the turn and you deal half damage for the rest of the turn to your opponent and like Given how many, like, in a format like what we have now where there's stuff like TR elements, there's a lot of milling, a lot of effects mm -hmm. triggering, a lot of chains, the time between, like, when a prosperity maybe gets activated and when you get to your battle phase, there could have been several different steps. Many minutes in between. Just many minutes of interactions, shuffling, searching, thinking, reconsidering, going through extra decks, the chains, another chain, another chain. And so you finally reach the battle phase, and, like, at that point, it is pretty easy to just have forgotten that like you do have damage and then maybe miscalculate like oh i could have had game here and i didn't or whatever and that's it's a, um it's like and that's like one of so many effects that just have like these small little intricacies and things to remember and that was very similar to um chris leblanc's uh dark ruler no more blunder during the yeah. same ycs where uh he attacked for game underneath uh dark ruler no more yeah I remember reading about that, and people also assumed, um, you know, like, he must have been cheating. And, I mean, even in that case, I still think it's kind of one of those things where you you almost, you, you play so much Yu-Gi-Oh!, and you activate the cards, like, so often 
and stuff, but like it's still really easy to slip up. There's just mm-hmm. a lot to juggle. And so I think that it's important, no matter kind of what you think of the person or you think, you know, just the, the setting, the scenario, assume that people aren't like cheating with malintent until like you see like a trend. Like if, okay, if, the, if he's done this like three different games today, mm, okay. And let's not right. forget, the judges are there. They're paying attention. They're not going to let... Even a top player, if they're act- actively trying to cheat their opponents, the judges yeah they'll, won't they'll let typically that slide. notice. And it's like I don't know. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, like everyone, like no one's perfect. You know what I mean? Like it's, everyone's imperfect. The judges are imperfect. The players are imperfect. Even the spectators. Like there's a lot of times where you know you'll be watching like a live stream, right? And people mm-hmm. like to backseat duel in live streams and all that stuff. And even like the audience or the Twitch chat or whatever can be wrong about things. But even though they're wrong, they'll think they're right, and then they'll like kind of start witch hunting and just getting really like, oh my god, this person cheated, they need to be banned for it. Because so. I mean, you know what else is cheating, Paul? Mm-hmm. Forgetting to unside between rounds. Yeah. Can you imagine how many people would have been, if they if they just debt checked every single round? Yeah, I think that that's like probably <laughs> There'd a thing be so that happens a lot. There'd be so many cheaters in this game. Yeah, so I mean, it's just something to keep in mind. I know... Um, that Pack addressed it, and it seems like most people agree that, like, yeah, this was, you know, I think people are like, kind of freaking out a bit too much over it, but... But his audience is also, um, you know, they're pretty, like, high-strung. Yeah, I think the people that maybe are following Pack or other competitive types are also going to be, like, hyper-tuned in to just, like, every little play interaction, maybe even play mistake. But uh, to pivot over a little bit, the top 32 breakdown was actually really interesting at this event. Very diverse. So Unchained won the event, and it also, within the top 32, had 25% of their representation, so I guess that'd be like eight decks. Um, That was interesting because it seemed like Unchained had kind of fallen off at uh, YCS Indianapolis a little bit. But Yu-Gi-Oh! is a game of adjustments. Yeah, but the the formats do change. TR Laments, Sinful Spoils, Rescue Ace, um, both had, I believe, like four decks. And then also Labyrinth, Pirelli, Sinful Spoils, Infernoble, one of those obviously being Pack, a regular Infernoble, a Kashtira, Horus TR Elements, that was kind of cool, a Salamangrate deck, which I saw a lot of people were cheering for, a Makonko deck, which is neat. Makonko actually won the YCS last weekend. Um, it was one that didn't get coverage. I oh, okay. Which I was, was wondering why. I was, I was like, what are you talking about? And then Infernoble, Sinful Spoils, Makongo. And then even a Dinomorphia deck. Oh, I did see that. Which is a big that. surprise because, like, I'm always shocked that people can play Dynamorphia in tournaments, given the time, like, procedures. I think you have to be one of those people that like to play that game with, like, your hand and the knife, and you just kind of, you have yeah. to be able to live life on the edge. For anybody wondering what I'm talking about, like, since Dynamorphia, basically, their goal is to get their life points as low as humanly possible and then just stay alive through their trap cards... It's tricky because, like, in an overtime, you know, end-of-match procedure, it's just, like, whoever has more life points wins. Yeah, you pretty like much... Like, at the end of the phase. Can't so. win in time with Dynamorphia. Yeah. Which, that means you're removing one win con from your game plan, and when you think about how many games go into time during a, a YCS... Uh. Yeah, I know. It's kind of it's scary to think about, so... Um, but interesting YCS. One other quick thing I wanted to uh, say about it was shout-out um, our friend Pheromone. Oh, yeah. This was his first YCS um, commentary. doing commentary. And I think it was really great. I saw a lot of people had positive things to say about his commentary. I remember telling him months back before this, um, oh, 
for some background, we work with Pheromone a fair bit on like videos and stuff. Mm-hmm. He usually makes like some of the VFX intros and stuff. Like for the Stardust Red Dragon duel we did recently, he did like you know the 3D modeling and stuff of like the duel runners and everything. Great guy, super professional, very nice. Very into cosplay. Yeah, very very good. He into everything. He's good <laughs> at like everything he does. It's I'm jealous. Um, but yeah, so he did commentary at this event. Um, and so I think he did a really good job. So shout oh, yeah. to him. Um, brought a lot of enthusiasm and knowledge to the commentary desk. It kind of made me think like maybe one day I could do like commentary to YCS. But half your chat has been telling you that for years. Yeah, I think it could be fun. The, uh, I remember, you say my um, chat. I don't live stream. Chat, YouTube comments, same thing. Yeah, but it was cool. Um, I know with Yu-Gi-Oh commentary, I do feel like it's uh, kind of difficult to do. Like Yu-Gi-Oh is like a, a game where it's not like kind of got the action-packed pace of like fighting games. I don't know. When I was I was playing a friendly game with Pheromone, he was running Punk, and it was the first time I was actually engaged during a Punk turn in my entire life. Yeah. Well, what I mean, though, is just more like for the commentary, you want to be informative and you also kind of want to be entertaining. But I guess like there's also a need to be professional. And so I don't know where the line is that Konami draws for like what they expect out of their commentators. I just know that he did a good job. But generally, the commentary, sometimes people accuse it of being very bland or very dry. I mean, but I feel like that's the Konami way. Like, Yeah, they tend to keep it. More reserved. Like, I, I don't think that they want to maybe make too many sweeping statements like about things. Like, chess commentary. Not like, uh, so, like, so, um, like, live stream chess commentary, but, like, actual chess tournament commentary, just kind of to the point. Yeah, uh, that is true. Well, anyways, that's YCS Richmond, I believe. Nothing else too big of note happened. We didn't get a Jeff Leonard Exodia moment again. No, but he was there, wasn't he? I don't know. Oh, I thought I saw I'm not sure if he, if he was. Because right. there were quite a few um, like top players at that event. Yeah, so anywho, there is a little bit of other Yu-Gi-Oh! news. Uh, let's see. First and foremost, we've got Master Duel updates. So there was actually a pretty big Master Duel update this week. Um, it'll be There was one a few days ago, and there will be another uh, in like another day or two. Or by the time you guys are listening to this, it'll probably be live, I believe. A lot of quality of life changes, but they're actually adding in um, Vanquish Soul in the game. Oh, okay. Which is like... But I guess they won't have their newest support. Uh, Well, they say that they will, actually. Uh, That's what I read in, like, kind of the online leaks or whatever, is that Vanquish Soul is getting added in, and they're going to have even their support from Age of Overlord. Huh. Which kind of marks a bit of a departure from how Master Duel typically does things, because they're usually a little bit more... uh, like, you get the first wave of support that this thing got, and then you kind of got to wait. But this time, it seems like they're speeding up the release process, which I think is a good thing. Yeah, I think it's just like, better in general. Because people want to play these decks. They just do. Um, and so I'll probably be playing Vanquish Soul in there. I also am playing it in real life, trying to build the deck right now. So I wonder if we can expect a similar treatment for their like deck build archetypes. I would hope so. I mean, I think, like, with deck build archetypes, they have a very, very distinct, um, like, release pattern. They come out, people think they suck, or that they're middling at best, and then they get support, like, in the next, usually, you know, two to three to four sets or whatever. Usually the first bit of support is, like, okay, it's, like, one card oftentimes, Mm -hmm. and then the next bit of support is, like, one or two cards, and that usually kind of pushes it over the edge to being, like, really good. 
it's happened historically with pretty much all of them over the last couple of years and these are no exception Pirelli and like uh, Rescue Ace definitely fit the bill there so I will be playing it and I think it'll be really fun I look forward to it um, that's pretty much it for Master Duel I mean you know there's other little small things they added a academic exam that you can like take it's like identifying cards and basic rulings and things okay, like that. Okay, it's a little trivia quiz thing. Yeah, it's really simple, and if you do it, you get, like, legacy pack. Duel Links actually has that. Uh, like that. that. Tour guide quizzes you. It doesn't do it when it's, in Duel Links, it's, like, when it's when the game's loading, right? Or like oh, well, they have, they have that, they have that too, uh, during the loading screens, but uh, there's actually a mode in the uh, app itself where you can do these little quizzes. Yeah, okay. Speaking of Duel Links, um... Someone wanted me to talk about this latest um, Blue Eyes update. And I know a lot of people are Blue Eyes fans. I'm not, just to be clear, I am not a Blue Eyes fan. But I figure I'll throw them a cookie. Let's look at what this uh, new Blue Eyes support is. So, uh, why did it not open the way I wanted it to? I'm assuming this is regular Duel Links and not Rush Duel? Yeah, yeah. regular Duel Links, not okay. Rush Duel. Uh because that it's a legend card in there that you only get to run one copy. I don't even know how you run a blue eyes archetype that way. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember just uh, while you're pulling that up, I was uh, somebody was saying how like I think in, in Duel Links now they refer to old Duel Links cards as like speed duel cards, and they say like speed duel on them as mm-hmm. opposed to rush duel, which seems a little a little I'm, jarring. It it is a little strange. It's like. My cars all say that they're speed duel cards now. Which, I yeah. mean, they were speed duel cards. It's just like a weird distinction to make. I think that's that comes from the Japanese like side. Because in, in Japan, that it's that is the speed duel like, yeah. format. And so, anyway. Yeah, they have to make a distinction over there. I guess we have to now, too. But anyway, I pulled it up. So this skill, I believe, comes with the um, 100th uh, like legacy character added to the game. Something like that. Okay. Uh, this I is bad for, for this. Like 100 legacy characters yeah, or something? Yeah, that, okay. that. And uh, so this is for Dark Side Dimensions Kaiba. And so it is, um, at least I think it's Dark Side Dimensions Kaiba. It looks like it is. And I think it also came with a um, a new kind of CG scene for Alternative Dragon. Okay, like a new stomach animation? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so check out this skill, Paul. So try, and so we'll, I'll let you tell me if it's good. Okay. So during this duel... If you have at least nine Blue Eyes monsters in your deck at the beginning of the duel, you can normal summon or set Blue Eyes White Dragon without tributing, and you cannot special summon monsters except Light Dragon-type monsters with levels and Ritual monsters. Okay. In addition, the following effect can be used... Still going. ...can be used once per duel. I'm into paragraph two now. Send two Blue Eyes monsters, one from your hand and one from your deck, to the graveyard. Add one Blue Eyes White Dragon or Monster Reborn from your deck to your hand and place one Polymerization from outside your deck at the bottom of your deck. If you activate this skill on turn two or later, also place one Blue Eyes Chaos Max Dragon and one Chaos Form at the bottom of your deck. These are, it doesn't say it, but these are also from outside your deck. From outside your deck, what does that mean? That means they materialize, like you oh, number just, cards. They just come into being. Yes. Okay, they're, just, they're in your deck now. Okay. You don't have to own them, the skill gives them to you. Interesting. Okay. 
So yes, so that's, that's a skill. skill. That's a skill. That's what it does. Golly, that's so much. Right? For, yeah. It's not a card activation. It's just something that happens. It's like, what is the story? Like, are people? Is this like a top tier thing now? I think I don't think it's top tier. I think it's uh, it's strong mm-hmm. because what they've been doing with these latest skills, uh, they now just enable engines entire just just at the drop of a hat. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me kind of when we were thinking before about like the uh, like there's like the BLS skill. I remember that which was like is quite good and stuff, and like the Toon World one where it almost just gets to a point where it's like, man, they are it, it, it's just kind of. Force the contorting the game mm-hmm. to be, you know, what I don't like just for your deck to work no matter what. Like we, oh, the Destiny Hero one. I remember that was another Destiny one. Hero. Where it's just like eyes. you begin with a poly in hand and a malicious engrave, yeah. and you also have like a this and like and then when you do this like you know Destiny Hero summon, it also activates a clock tower prison out of nowhere, and you know it's it's very like. like let's not forget where skills came from, Paul. Hmm. Mountain. That's true, yeah. At, it started out with like just these basic-ass field spells. At one point, dueling skills were these singular changes to the state of the game that would affect essentially just like one interaction or one turn. That would be the entire scope of what a skill would do. But these will completely... Compl- skills like these... They changed the state of the game before it even starts. Yeah, they changed the rules. They changed your deck without you actually having things in your deck. Like, cards materialize. It's very intense. I mean, like, I, I think that there's kind of a healthy way to do it, though, I would assume. And this is from somebody who doesn't play Duel Links, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know. I think when it's, like, limited to helping out anime decks, and especially the ones that have to, like, work with those old vanillas... And stuff. I think that there, that can be pretty balanced, but like even then, I mean, there's, you know. I mean, we've oftentimes we found in Duel Links that these scales, like completely, like run the metagame. Mm-hmm. Like, because like you you make a distinction for like anime decks, Duel Links is is, is it's supposed to be anime decks, just anime yeah, decks. That's like, true. Uh, there was a time when um, it, the non-anime decks were superior in Duel Links. Ever since they started making skills like these, that has changed. Like, this is crazy when you really think about it. It locks you out of the things Blue Eyes is known for doing, which is rank 8 plays. Yeah. But instead, it sets up your graveyard, gives you a monster born, it gives you a free normal summon of a Blue Eyes. Oh, and it searches all everything you need for Chaos Max. Yeah, well, I mean, as long as it's not, like, breaking the game top-tier-wise, maybe people are okay with that. I know, Duel Links is always slow. Most, like, uh, Duel Links resources are slow to upgrade. They're, like, tierless. Uh, I'm sure we'll see Blue Eyes make its way up the tierless. I don't think it's going to be considered tier one. It'll probably be a, uh, like, a tier three, tier two-ish strategy. Okay. Because it's really, this still is just, like, it's just a beatdown deck. I don't believe you're getting any like negates out of the pick out of this deal. Okay. Like you're putting the onus on your opponents. Look, negate me because Chaos Max is coming. Yeah. Oh, something else that uh, these are just a couple of small stories. Um, so Valiant Smashers or Valiant Smash. I don't know why I call it Valiant. Think of the Valence oh, archetype. Yeah. But uh, Valiant Smashers uh, got revealed for the TCG. Mm-hmm. Uh, the content creators did their product openings. 
it's technically not meant to be a reveal since like it's the yeah, same product that it was. We all saw it when the OCG Japan. revealed it. So typically, all that you'll really get out of these content creator things is like finding out what cards are uh, collectors' rares mm-hmm. or whatever, which didn't seem to really get revealed too much in these openings. I know like Farfa did an opening, MSTTV, a couple other channels. Um, I did not watch them because, frankly, this is not a, uh, this isn't really a set that I'm super into. Like, not really. I'm probably going to try to no, maybe I'm build a deck some. from it, but I'm just kind of scrolling through the list, and, um, yeah, another one of these. So, there is a conversation that people have had about it, though, oh. which is that, um, it is coming really quickly after Rarity Collection. Yeah. Which was coming really quickly after Age of Overlord. And so some people feel as though this is maybe like like slow down Konami, right? Like uh, maybe chill with the releases for like a little longer. Mainly in that like it's asking a lot of like, you know, your wallet, right? Like you just, everybody invested a bunch into Rarity Collection. And now it's like, okay, well there's a new set and like you got to get the stuff. So, Well, I think um, this is more of an exception rather than a rule for Konami. Rarity Collection is one of those kind of things they just the TCG kind of made it like the TCG is beholden to OCG products they have to release the next main series set they have to release the next deck builder set mm-hmm. so or when the they, reprint sets are there are usually yeah, TCG well, so exclusive. when you know when they came up with the idea of rarity collection they had to be like okay well where do we when do we try and like put this out yeah and uh, i think the the thinking was well Let's get it out like fairly like soon, bef- like b- b- right before the holidays. Yeah. To like maximize sales and whatnot, and um, I mean, I really think that just this still was the best time to release Rarity Collection. Yeah. Uh. So I mean, you know, I think it's like a, one of those things where it's probably a good problem to have. Like, oh no, there are too many Yu-Gi-Oh cards. That said, I mean, I don't think this is even a set that a lot of people are super into. Like on the outset. Mementos doesn't seem like it's supposed to be like a huge meta defining thing. Um, I like them. I've heard that Centurion seems like it's. Uh, I like Centurion. Gonna be kind of neat. I was that was the one that I was looking at building, and then there's the Valmonicas, which. Now, Paul, you know you like you some waifus, so. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I'll, I'll have to give something one of these decks. I'll just kind of give it a shot. It looks like the reprints in the set though are Summoner Monk. That's uh, a big one. Um, big? Well, big in that, like, maybe one of these decks can use it. Magic Planter, Angel of Zera, Ghost Sister, and Spooky Dogwood gets a reprint. So I'm assuming that's probably going to be one of the collector's rares. Yeah, I'm saying Ghost Sister's a strange big. Um, let's see, what else? Foolish Burial's in here. Imperial Custom, Call of the Haunted. You know so, what this feels like? Hmm. This feels like reprints for Time Wizard format. There's a few that feel like they're stuck in here. Um, that's actually a, a thing that a lot of people don't really seem to know is, like, I think Konami does make a concerted effort to, like, sneak in mm-hmm. Time Wizard or, like, Edison, Goat kind of reprints and stuff into some mainline sets. Um, Terraforming is in here. Uh, Supply Squad, and there can be only one, so I'm assuming one or all of those will be collector's rares. Supply Squad feel... Supply Squad... That has to be one of the most reprinted cards of the last, like, 12 years or so. It used to be, like, 
Not maybe as much today, but I remember a period of time where I feel like it was in like every structure. Day. It felt like they that they printed that card for the first time and they re- and they were like, "Yo, we're putting this in everything." It's funny because when you look at a card like Supply Squad, I think at the time of release, it was actually seen as very uh, not obnoxious or anything. But it was like a good card. Yeah, I remember the first time I read it, I was like, yo, this card's pretty good. And I think I think many people thought that, and over time we were like, okay, it's just... Yeah, and like, sure, by today's standards, it's slow. Supply Squad, by the way, being continuous spell, um, when your opponent, when like, one of your monsters is destroyed by battle or card effect, you draw one card, and it only activates like once per turn. Great way to kind of float and gain gradual advantage over time. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the time of release, it was like really good just because it kind of would allow your deck to... Even, like, kind of as you're losing, you're still getting cards, so it just keeps this flow of advantage This going. was a different kind of Yu-Gi-Oh, guys, just to be clear. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it just, over time, people kind of found it to be a little bit slow, but it was a really popular card to reprint in, just include in structure decks and other kind of beginner level. Oh, my God. I was so scrubby. I remember trying to, like, my goal in life was to get Supply Squad and then, uh, What's it called? Machine, um... Come closer to the mic. People fuss about this in the comments. But I'm close to the mic. See, now, yeah, now I can hear you better. What? But I... Anyway, go on. The, um... I forgot what I was saying. Supply Squad. Oh, yeah, yeah. My goal was to get Supply Squad and, uh... Was it Machine Replacement Factory? Something like that. Yeah. Just to get them both on the field so that my machines got destroyed. I would get to search for a machine and draw a card... And to yeah, me, oh, I know that, card that was just a huge... I know what card you're talking about. I want to remember the name. It was something machine but recycle. Yeah, yeah I, I know. It's like that machine thing. It's a continuous spell, right? Yeah, it's a continu- okay. continuous spell. Yeah, I don't remember, but I do remember the effect. But the idea of like getting so many resources off of Destruction of a Monster was so tantalizing back then. Yeah. Oh, you guess changed. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like the, the rules of how card advantage kind of operates is just, it's just different. Um, let's see. So, yeah, so that's Valiant Smashers or Valiant, Valiant Smashers, not Valiant Smashers. Smashers. That's not even a word. It's coming out next week. Also, um, so there's been a few reveals. We'll just go through them quick. There's that Sky Striker Link 4 monster. Maybe you saw it. I did see the Sky Striker. Or Um, it was not called a Sky Striker. It's a... It's got like this long name. It's a Spectra? Spectra? Yeah, Spectra. Spectral. Something like that. It's one of those cards. So you've seen the effect. Mm Mm-hmm. It's one of those cards that reminds me of how, like, they'll take these kind of control decks and try to turn them into, like, combo decks a little bit. Like, give them, like, kind of combo-ish boss monsters and things like that. But uh, the response I saw from a lot of people was, like, how is Skystrucker going to, like, summon this? It's a Link 4 monster. And, like, typically they are really only able to do, like, Link 1, Link 2. And they don't want to have cards in their main monster zone. So it kind of feels like a... Weird thing, I think it's maybe just based off that manga, and there's just... I mean, it reminds me a lot of um, the Cosmo card, uh, what was it called? Not Dark Eclipse, or the bigger one. Dark Planet? Dark, yeah, Planet. Oh, it does feel like that, huh? Just, it gives, yeah, it gives you a negate, but at what cost? It's an awkward negate, too. I mean, I think having to negate by banishing spells from your hand or grave is on brand with Sky Striker. Now, obviously, you'll be losing valuable resources if you negate forever. So, you know, you need to be kind of careful with it. And if you run out of spells in your graveyard, it, it goes to zero all of attack, its attack. Which is like, ugh. But um, more than that, the, it has this, um, this like, other uh, 
it can only negate things that are chain link two or higher. And that's which okay awkward. It's so, just awkward. So hot take actually. I think that that would be a really balanced thing for Yu-Gi-Oh boss negate monsters in general. Mm-hmm. Like it's in a bad spot because like okay on the Sky Striker card, no other card like Barone and all this other stuff. You know they negate like normal spell speed one things whatever. This only can negate things that are chain link two or higher. But I actually think that if Omni negates were designed like that, where they can negate monsters, spells, or traps, but like only as chain link two or higher, I actually think that, that would help balance the Omni negate problem, like in the future of Yu Gi Oh. But like, but we already we already have, have these like, existing. The genie ones, so. has, hasn't been in. Yeah, the genie's already like left forever. the bottle. Like, now, I mean, there's always the power of Rattus, but. Well, they not doing. Yeah, I don't think that they would really want to do that. They it's only just an interesting... good band cards into like nerfed infantile forms. It's just one of those little things where I'm like, if Yu-Gi-Oh could commit to these sort of small micro balance changes, I think that we could get a slightly like slower, more tame game that some people want. Like, you know, one of my things I've I made a video about this a while back was like Make maybe one. more. Uh, yeah, I should maybe more search effects in the end phase. Maybe um making it where... But y'all told me Odd Eyes was bad because it did that. Well, it was. Because wow. there were other cards that did it. But that's the thing. It's like having more search effects in the end phase or having more like things like Tri Brigade Kit where like it searches the card and you have to put something at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So like you're not just getting a raw plus one immediately, but you're having to, you know, lose for it. Yeah, people and never talk about how balanced the adventure engine is for doing pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. Balanced. Yeah, no, but I, I get what you mean. I mean, I think that it's something where, like, they do need to be, um, like, reining in the power level of a few cards, but it doesn't work if it's, like, only one random card for one archetype that kind of gets an overbalanced look and then everything else still releases. And I mean, but they they you can see bits and pieces of that in cards like Pot of Prosperity where it's so strong we have to use it, but it actually isn't... Without its, like, faults. They try to give it drawbacks. It's just interesting. Well, there's a different conversation around prosperity, on, frankly, which... Did I say pot of prosperity? Yeah. I mean, that would be relevant. I meant... It is relevant. I meant to say droplets. I have no idea why Forbidden I said prosperity. Dro- okay, prosperity. yeah. They do feel like, you know, recent spell cards that are like, good. For some reason, when I think drop, I also think of prop. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think uh, droplets is a good example of a card that's quite... Uh, uniquely balanced, I think. Mm. It's very strong, but it's uniquely balanced. Pot of Prosperity, I think they were probably trying to balance it, and it just ended up being a little good anyway. But I it's mean, like, being good is has more to do with everything else in the game today being strong. So the value of digging in the deck six cards and getting what you want is which, higher now than it probably would have been X years ago. Really, that's a player preference thing. They're, True. Because... Um, there, there always could be a shift in thinking where it's like, well, I don't want to just dig for one card. I'd rather get two cards. Two cards. Yeah, usually the difference I find with those, like comparing Pot of Prosperity to Pot of Extravagance, is that like Extravagance is better for usually like trap decks, mm-hmm. right? Your your decks like Eldritch or Guru, Altergeist, whatever, you know, where just having raw advantage is more valuable because you, you simply want as many traps lose. as you get. And yeah, you don't care what you lose in your extra deck and like you're just getting any two traps is valuable. Mm-hmm. Especially maybe if you're playing like a Fossil Dyna Inspector Border thing where just extra floodgates, great. But um, 
still, I mean, yeah, I don't know. These All these pot cards have gotten really strong. It's interesting, like, Master Duel seems like they consider them ban-worthy. And even the OCG, they've been doing, like, more and more limitations and stuff on them, so... There's something. you think it. When they when everyone's drawing as much as they want off Max C, they wouldn't have any problem with bots. Okay, here's something a little bit different. Um, probably the last little bit of Yu-Gi-Oh! news, unless I... Oh, I had some. Oh, what do you got? The uh, the new Terminal World reveals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't we got uh, Ritual Beasts. Yeah, I saw there's Ritual Beasts. So, have all the Terminal World archetypes been revealed now? Cause I believe four. so, yes. So, it's Infernoid? Mm-hmm. Ice Barrier? Ice Barrier, it's weird because they got a structure deck not that long ago. Infernoid, Ice Barrier, Genex, and um, Ritual Beast then? Yes. Okay. And I saw Ritual Beast, they got a Link monster. Yeah, they got a main deck monster, effect monster, a oh, fusion monster, okay. a Link monster, and a continuous spell. Okay. So all the um, the dual terminal lore heads, I know for a lot of you guys, that's before your time, you know, dual terminal, you know, 2011s yeah. and stuff. It does but, feel um, like so long ago. But, uh, you know, so... Ritual Beast Tamer Lara, uh, you know, I think she was considered like one of the better ones back in the day. She's now grown up. Uh, so let's see what she does. From what I've read online, everyone says that this card is ev- is everything. So level one light of uh, psychic effect monster, one hundred attack, two thousand defense. So you're not really using it on board. It says uh, you can only use its first, second, and third effects of this card's name once per turn. True Yu-Gi-Oh things. You can discard this card, and immediately after this effect resolves, normal summon one Ritual Beast monster from your hand. That's anybody. If a Ritual Beast card you control will be destroyed by battle or card effect, you can banish this card from your graveyard, from your field or graveyard instead. Okay. And if this card becomes banished, you can special summon one Ritual Beast monster from your deck, except Spiritual Beast Tamer Lara. Okay, interesting. Yeah, okay, so I have these pulled up now. Yeah, um... Obviously, if you guys are just, like, listening through audio and you haven't read the cards, just check them out on WyGo Organization or Reddit or Yu-Gi-Oh! News, TCG, or whatever. But there are new Ritual Beast cards. Mm-hmm. And this one seems especially good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she just supports everything that Ritual Beasts have done. Yeah. And she's a she's a spiritual beast and a, a beast tamer. She's both. Yeah. yeah, that's always one of my favorite parts about the Ritual Beast archetype is just that it... Um, it's kind of one of those ones where it's like there's the beasts and there's the tamers. So mm-hmm. there's like there's the spiritual beasts and then there's the spiritual beasts and the ritual beast tamers. So just a small kind of neat lore thing. So I wonder when we're going to be getting this uh, dual terminal set in the TCG. It I don't believe it has a TCG date. They might end up breaking it up, but I feel like we're going to get a similar product to... Um, uh, what's that product we got recently where it collected a bunch of our old... Um, uh, like side sets. I mean, I know there's like dual terminal chapter one. Was that a set? That was a set, but that was like reprint of old dual terminal stuff. Or yeah. you talking about like Maze of Memories? And no, stuff? no, that, along those lines. Vows of Legend. Like it, maybe they will do a um, another dual terminal like kind of a reprint set, mm-hmm. and they just kind of add in these new cards. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, it's kind of tough, though, because, like, so many of the old dual terminal things people just don't want as cards. I mean, you so, can argue no one wants Ritual Beast today. They don't. I mean, until these things came out, so... I don't know. Okay, here's one. Here's an interesting thing. Sorry, was there anything else on them? Oh, the, well... Just that... Great effects on some of these cards. The Fusion Monster, um... 
Sorry, it I'm protects all of your... The fusion monster protects all your ritual beast monsters. And then the link monster, it has a floodgate effect. It says neither player can tribute cards to activate a card effect. Oh, interesting. There's a few archetypes that just get complete. Like, I think of a deck like Drytron or something. Drytron, I think... Uh, what Infernoids is the goal here to stop? Yeah, Infernoids. That's that's very on lore, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I am okay. Yeah, that's cool. And this Link Monster is it's Link Four, which seems like a little bit demanding for Ritual Beast to make. It is, but I my memory's a little foggy. But I remember the Ritual Beast can like amass bodies. They just weren't always great bodies. Okay. It says during your opponent's turn, quick effect, you can target a Ritual Beast. Mo- card you control and one card your opponent controls and banish them so that really hurts your opponent but for you i mean yeah it actually begins more plays interesting well did you hear about the ocg's um asian english structure decks i heard about it but i didn't see them are they good are they so they're making they're kind of re-releasing these yugi and kaiba or like blue eyes and dark magician structure decks in um in asian english which is basically like english cards released for asia like in japan and stuff and um i, I never really understood like exactly why they exist but it's been a thing in Yu-Gi-Oh! so for- my understanding with that has been that um there are a lot of uh asian countries that speak many many different languages and it's a bit taxing to translate cards for every single language so they just use English as a catch-all. But these are still OCG cards, just in English. Okay, well, anyways, yes, yeah, so they've released the deck list for them. They seem pretty... Uh, they fire, huh? I mean, they're pretty standard. It's a Blue Eyes deck called Rise of the Blue Eyes. You get, like, Blue Eyes and stuff like Alexandrite Dragon, Flambeau card. It kind of reminds me of the old Blue Eyes structure deck. A few neat new inclusions are things like... Um, Omni Dragon Brotar and Chaos Dragon Levianir. Wow. Things like that are in there. Um, so, like, you get True Light in the in the deck. Pretty cool. Uh. Um, eh. Like, it's neat. And so there's also a power-up pack, which is a little more exciting. You get some additional Blue Eyes cards that you can, like, pull in it. Because, you know, the power-up packs, I think they include one power-up pack in the structure deck box. But, like, the power-up pack maybe only gives you, like, five out of a total of... 20 cards. Didn't they do that with Star Deck Yugi and Kaiba Evolution or something like that? No, I know what you're thinking of. You're thinking of a certain product that we've used in a few videos where yeah. it's like the legendary deck kind of sets. But they were two set, very separate products just put together for that oh. new product. I forget the name of it exactly, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, this one actually has some cool things like Harpy's Feather Duster, Book of Moon, Foolish Burial, Forbidden Chalice, Bottomless Trapple, Crackdown. So, like, there are more staples are in these in addition to stuff like um, Blue-Eyes Solid Dragon, Bingo Machine, um, Destrudo. So, Bless Jet Dragon, a neat one. So, it sounds like that format is starting up from ground zero, essentially. Sort of. I mean, these are structure decks that, I, guess, I mean, they're still just cards. Right, that but you I mean, play. that... It's still like as far as uh, the power creep curve. This this it's nowhere near where we are in modern Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, and the, just to quickly go over the Dark Magician one, it kind of sucks that these are like only Japanese products. Like maybe we'll get something like this in TCG. <laughs> but yeah, like the Dark Magician one, you do get Magician Souls in the 
in the oh, product. Okay. Kind of cool. Um, like Magic Karibo and stuff. Um, all the Dark Magical Circle and Illusion Magic and Eternal Soul are all included in here. In multiples? Like, just at one. Oh, one okay. copy apiece. And then also, its power-up pack has a lot of hand traps, like Didi Crowe, Roland Lockbird, Ghost Ogre, and Snow Rabbit. You also get uh, some cool fusions, like Guardian Chimera. Oh, here, all right. So, so, right, Geki? Okay, all right. I had the wrong idea about this set. So, effectively, it is a starter deck or a structure deck that also has a power-up pack. And the power-up pack mm-hmm. could get you some really cool staples that you could add in. Mm-hmm. Is it a shame that I actually think that this would have been really interesting as a, um, like, better than the two-player starter deck product that we're getting in the TCG? Do we know what's in it? Well, we don't know the full contents of the two-player starter deck, okay. but from what we've kind of been able to glimpse, it seems like it's maybe a little dull. I, I just think that this might have been better because like it's like Yugi, Kaiba, Blue Eyes, Dark Magician, you know, like this kind of it's easier to sell off a shelf for like a youngster or just for like a nostalgia head. I really do believe you because there's a giant Kaiba and Blue Eyes behind you while you said that. I'm just like That's yeah. true, yeah. I'm a gin water. Um so a cool new product from the OCG uh, that maybe we could hope to get as a TTG thing at some point. Fingers crossed. Okay. Uh, I think that's all the Yu-Gi-Oh. That was actually more Yu-Gi-Oh than I thought we had. Yeah, I didn't. Think, I didn't think we had like loads of it, but um, I guess. But we we had a lot. We talked. We talked a lot about these subjects, so it makes sense. This is true. But uh, so let's move to other card games. Yeah, there's a few. I do want to follow up on something I talked about last week, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Let's hear it. So, Bandai kind of folded. Kind of folded? Yeah. It, it's a very strange thing. that I, I don't think I've ever seen a card game ever do this. All right, guys. So, this is a uh, follow-up to the story last week about the One Piece banlist update. It, uh, it looks like... Bandai kind of folded on their own ban list, and um, we have our local expert, uh, Chris, here. Yeah, Chris plays One Piece. So, Chris, uh, how do you feel about Bandai announcing that their ban list update is only for a month? Uh, let's see. First and foremost, uh, what's up, APS community? Um, expert is a strong word, but... Uh, <laughs> How do I feel about it? Uh, what does the tweet say, first of all? Let's, uh, let's read out exactly their words. Okay. Yeah, read that part. All right, so it says, Thank you for your understanding, and we hope our community continues to enjoy the One Piece card game. This ban will be lifted on December 8th, 2023, due to changes in the metagame with the release of OP05, One Piece card game team. So, December 8th, that's when... uh. The banning of those red cards ends. That's interesting. And they and they just and, and they just started. Uh, they they just started. I think. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. They they don't they didn't don't go into effect until ten. So. This is so. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's been was the was the word uh, when I first saw it. I was like. I don't, I don't want to curse on here, but I was like, what? Uh, <laughs> what the, what? You know what I mean? And uh, it, it, was, it was just weird to me because I'm just like, be okay. First and foremost, being a Yu-Gi-Oh player, mm-hmm. like, I'm, Yu-Gi-Oh is my first game, um, game I've been in for the longest, game I play the most. Being a Yu-Gi-Oh player, seeing a band list come out, I know I'm going to be playing that for 
three, four months mm-hmm. at a time. And Konami's not going to give us an explanation on why they fast stuff. They're just going to do it. Yeah. And we're going to speculate. Bandai just so happens to give us, yeah, you know, Bandai just so happens to give us an explanation on why they do stuff. And then they turn around less than a week later, or it might have been in exactly a week, and say, yeah, this is only going to last for a month. Yeah, <laughs> and then I'm just like, I've got so many questions about that, that, this. Like, because Bandai runs a lot of different card games, right? Like, they, they do, they do yeah. Digimon, they do Dragon Ball, and all these other things. And they've never, like, reversed a Digimon ban list, right? No matter how badly I wish they would. Not, yeah, now that I know of, they never re- reversed one. So was this... And then also, it's just like... I mean, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so was this... Like, do we know that this was because of, like, player input? Like, player dissatisfaction? Or do you think it was just, like... Whoops, we just messed up. Like, we, oops. Okay, that, that was going to be my next point with it. Um, honestly, all we can do is speculate at this point. Mm-hmm. But us being speculating people, um, I'm just going to say this. Bandai knows what the next, what the OP5 meta is, just like we know what the OP5 meta is. The, the Japan, Japan is ahead of us. In the game, just like just like it is in Yu-Gi-Oh, they're ahead of us in the game by a set or so. So they've been playing this meta for a while. Mm-hmm. They know what the meta was going to be. They know how it was going to change. They know how set five was going to change the meta. They know that that was going to happen in America also. Well, at least people were saying it was going to happen in America, but they know what was coming out. My understanding so, was that in the uh, set five meta, red was all, was just not going to be a big factor. Yeah, so with that, it, it 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 has me leaning more on the the side that they folded to backlash from red cards being hit. That's so crazy to me, you know, because like, I, so this might be like a bit of a hot take about it. I don't know, but I don't like when card games do this. Like, I don't think that this is something. I don't that, either. Like, as a card game dev that you should, or really like a video game dev in general, I know like everyone's going to say, listen to your fans, listen to your audience. Like, no, actually. Like, listen to them insofar as like, knowing that, okay, there's some player dissatisfaction, fine. But I don't think that like, you should just fold on like, a ban list decision or like some product related thing. It's just like if any online game like kind of just released a patch, oh, people don't like it, so we immediately like, revert it back. Sure, there's some extreme examples where that could be okay to do, but like this to me like deteriorates a little bit of trust. Like, because I just feel like if, yeah, I, if I bought these cards or I invested in this deck and then it got hit and then I sold it and then it got unhit, like, and the announcement of the unhit was a week later, like if, if this happened in Yu-Gi-Oh, people would be furious. That's crazy. I hope nobody sold their Namis, their Altar Namis. No, there. wait, wait, wait. That 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 was my next point. Look at it from the opposite side, right? Mm-hmm. People who had this stuff already, and and let's say people who got it early before the prices got outrageous, because we know one piece did get outrageous at one point. Some of those cards are still outrageous. Like the Zoro leader was sitting at, I want to say almost three hundred dollars, maybe more than three hundred. Law leader was sitting at about two eighty, three hundred. Like people have this stuff. Nami's were two hundred dollars plus almost, like. 
think about getting I think about having those cards for a while and playing those being your main decks that list coming out there was an event last there were multiple events last weekend that people played in I played in one of them right mm-hmm. and I know for a fact people were selling nominees people people were selling people, people were selling stuff right yeah. for lower prices than what it was was a, a week before and like they got rid of that stuff and then you mean to tell me a week later, well, a couple of days after the event, you're going back on the van list like that? It to me, wonder, it's just do they? So do they not have like a focus group sort of thing? Because it almost reads to me as if like, okay, there is like three of us and we're the only people in charge of like R&D for this game. We're just sitting in this room alone and we're completely like isolated from the community. We have no clue what anyone thinks. And we just decided, all right, we're going to hit these red cards, right? We're going to nerf this red deck. And then we released it and found out we were completely off the mark and no one liked our decisions. But, like, I always thought that with card games, like, you, you'd kind of be aware enough about, like, the community and kind of just where things are that you would know, okay, we're going to hit these red cards. Some people will be dissatisfied, but it's for the greater good and we're going to stick with it. And then, like, maybe if we need to revert the change, we'll do it in four months. Like. Yeah. If you're gonna make the change, yeah. at least stand on it for a little bit. Like it makes it seem like there's just like surprise, whoops, we messed up, and then like in a few days we just completely Yeah, it's it's a very strange. I don't know. Like it that's I don't think that, that looks makes Bandai look great. But maybe it does. Maybe people are happy about it. I don't know. Chris, did you sell your NAMIs? Um, well, me personally, I didn't have all tar NAMIs. Um they were too expensive. Well, they were really expensive. And I didn't have them, even though I got like a ton of other expensive one piece cards. I probably could afford nominees if I wanted to, um, but I, I didn't have them to sell. I kind of just like I played. I played my law deck Saturday, didn't do too well. Took it apart, put it in the binder. I said maybe it'll come back later. I didn't know later was going to be next month. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like <laughs> so. You know, yeah, you it's still in the binder. I'm gonna leave it there. You put it away because you thought it wouldn't be playable, but I guess it is again. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, it, yeah, it's playable. I, and and I'm gonna say this: one thing I do, I, I I am challenging myself to do is like play something different because I'm one of the ones who was guilty of picking up the new decks whenever a new set would come out, and then falling back into a red deck because that's what I was comfortable with playing. And that's what they were doing. That was the big like, problem I, that they were having with it, right? Yeah. Well, they that wasn't what they were saying um, specifically, but just being a player and knowing the community, that, that's what I, from oh, my yeah, perspective, okay. that's what I was seeing. I was seeing a lot of people, like, whenever a new sets would come out, everybody would be hype on new decks. Like, everybody was hype on the yellow deck when it came out, and um, I think that was set three. Mm-hmm. Everybody was hype on the black deck when it came out in set, um, what, no, black was set three. Yellow was set two. No, I, whatever. Whenever they came, I think it was set three. Yellow came out. Everybody was hype on those. And like yellow's still pretty strong, but black fell completely off. It hasn't gotten good again to the set four with Rebecca in the black blue deck, and it's still pretty good. Hmm. So, but like the thing about that is like those were very popular decks, but I know a lot of those players still right back into playing red. But red got results. Yeah. I mean, you look at the, you know, it was always multiple top spots. Yeah. I mean, you know, could you imagine? Every once in a while, you'll have, like, something else step in. 
Could you imagine like Yu-Gi-Oh just ever doing this? What, yeah. like reversing a balance? Just reversing a balance like within like a week. I think players are meltdown. No. I, I think like yeah. It just it I I a I think players like would would be so furious about that sort of thing. Because like the I don't know as much about One Piece, but I know like with, with Yu-Gi-Oh, the market is so swingy and people are so like hyper attuned to just like should I buy? Should I sell? Should I get rid of this? You know, whatever. TCG player ratings would plummet. Like, just people would be so mad. And then also, like, Konami doesn't... Uh, you know, Chris and I have kind of talked about this before. Like, Konami, they're not that type of company. Like, they mm-hmm. don't... They, they don't... You can say a lot of bad stuff about Konami, right? Like, maybe they're doing this wrong or that wrong. But one thing they will do is, like, they will stand on their decisions, and they won't really bend to, like, just because the players immediately dislike this ban list update. All right, guess all right, guys. Oh, sorry guys. Sorry. Uh, we're, we're sorry. We'll like we'll correct it. Konami stand on business. So, you know, stand on business. You know? So I'm not I'm not sure. I don't know if this like it makes me trust Bandai, but then maybe on the other hand, the players might be like, "Oh, this is good. Like this company listens to us, you know." I just go scroll through yeah, the comments. Yeah, They're mostly just clowning. Mostly just clowning on the company. Oh, so people aren't. A yeah, big fan it's of a it. lot of. Yeah, it's it's a lot of white beard memes, basically. Yes, plenty of them. So okay, I I got gotcha. you. Know? I mean, well, one last thing about this then. Uh, I do. Do you? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Before you get into your last point, before you get into the last one, I I do have I do have a point I want to make. Mm-hmm. I do think it's not as bad as a lot of people make it out to be. Um, I do feel like, like I said, I, I do feel like they should have stood on it. They should have kept it. But also, like, just when it comes to, like, the the investment part of, you know, just, like, buying your cards, buying your decks, and things like that. I, a lot of times, bro, the, these these card game companies, they don't, they don't look at these card games as being investments like we do. You know what I'm saying? True. So, like, I mean, the sad part about it is, like, they kind of are, but they don't look at it that way because they're not the ones out here actually, like, buying the cards and things like that. Yeah. So, like, that's actually banning really, something or getting rid of something, it's just, like... It, for them, it's strictly, like, a, a to them, it's or, exactly. or whatever. That That's a good point because that you know, and then, does feel like a Yu-Gi-Oh thing, too, where people will be kind of, like... Konami should like do this and that to like solve the secondary market, but it's also like, well, I don't know, that's not really their problem. Yeah, that's not their problem. Like, say that, like, say you create the secondary market, not them. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that they, you know, that they're affected. Like, I don't know, I mean, we're not talking about Yu Gi Oh right now, but like, I know the whole, what's been going on in the community recently is the whole SP Little Night thing. Like, mm-hmm. Konami affecting the market by making cars limited like that. And, you know, granted, I do believe that that does happen, but I don't, I don't think that's their intention. You know what I'm saying? I feel like they just make cards, you know, they make cards limited because yeah, I mean, that's, they the, that, that's, that's been the business model else. for, you know, 20, 20 plus years now. It's been the business model and that's just what they're doing. Like, cards have always been hard to get. Like, it's not nothing new. Yeah, that's true. But the thing I was going to say, too. But, you know, with a Bandai game, I, I, I mean, but, you know, with, 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 with Bandai games, cards aren't well, not all cards, but most cards aren't as expensive because you can get you can get them in multiple rares. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. now when it comes down to, you know, there, there are cases where where both where you know both all rarities of that card are expensive. That does happen. 
but like that's like very rare. So like you know, this it, it, it's not an investment. They don't look at the stuff as being an investment. So like you selling your nominees when they ban them is not their problem. It's kind of just yours, and it sucks that it had to happen that way. But that's just the truth. Yeah. I just think everyone should uh, give it a week after bandless announcements, at least from Bandai. Just yeah, so. that's what I was gonna say. Okay, that that that's what I was gonna ask you guys both, because um, you guys both kind of played different Bandai games. Like Alec, you play Digimon. Chris plays One Piece. My One Piece deck else. is almost finished. Do you guys have so when the next list comes out in like let's say three months, four months, whatever? Has your trust been shot? Like, like, what, 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 would you, what will be your reaction next time? Let's, I'm, I'm just gonna say, like, let's give it a week. Yeah, like, give it. Is it gonna be like give it a week sort of thing? Just listen. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed enough to be in a position where, like, I don't just like have to sell my cards, and like, I, I can afford to hold on to stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, if I'm one of those people who, like, you know, invest a lot and. I need to make my money back off stuff, bro. I, I'm if the list comes out and, and it causes the price or something to change, I'm moving it, hundred percent. But I, but I, but I'm also giving it time before I sell stuff. Like you know, like uh, like Nami, for instance. Like me personally, if I had those, they would have been gone Saturday. As <laughs> <laughs> simple as that, they they, they would have been gone Saturday. You know. Yeah, that's interesting. and that's just that's just that. Well, at any rate, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the One Piece news. Uh, I want to. I do want to hear from people listening as well. Like, if insert card game here, like whatever card game you play, whether it's Yu Gi Oh or whatever else, like if this was to happen and Yu Gi Oh and Magic and Pokemon or something, just a ban list comes out and then like, whoop, whoop, sorry, like five six days later, we 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 take it back. What would be your like reaction or your community's reaction? Uh, in the case of some games like Battle Spirits, I think it's a lot like that whole uh, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's around to hear it, did it really happen? Yeah. I was also going to say with some of those games that rotate, it might be like if a game rotates, then they don't even have to worry about this sort of thing. That's like true. there would never be a ban list to revert back or whatever. Time is the ban list. It's like, oh, well, it'll get rotated out in X months anyway. So uh-huh. I'll just say this. Hopefully, Bandai learned their lesson with this because, I mean, they they obviously see what we're saying, what the people are saying. So, hopefully, they learned their lesson with this where it's like, you know, don't if we make a decision like that next time, stand on it. But, like, also, like, just don't make that decision because you got to think about what they did. Like, Edward Newgate being um, Whitebeard, Edward Newgate, that, that being the, the first leader card to get banned. And I mean, I'm I'm not an insider or anything like that, but I've talked to a lot of people that believe that that card was a mistake mm-hmm. in the first place. And uh, I mean, granted, you can look at it; it's just a cool card, very powerful card, very strong card in the game, and and it, it got the results like to to warrant that. Like, yeah, it probably should be banned. Yeah. So I guess moral of the story is uh, be decisive. Be decisive. Yeah. Or, or also just create better cards. Yeah, or, like, yeah, or don't know, let more balance, more balanced cards. You know. All right. Well, that, well, that that's just how it is. Well, we appreciate it, Chris. You are officially the first guest on the Pod of Greed. Thank you. And uh, hopefully, I, we can I, have I, you on for more. I'll, one I'll take so. my. Re- I'll take my. Re- I'll take my reward in one. Um, 
my, it's email my address if you send it. Yeah, sorry, we'll put it in the show notes. If right. I can send him. Uh, Paul will send right, you an cool. old Nami for your travels. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All that's right. great. All right, everybody. Uh, thank, you, thank you guys for having me. And always remember, guys, the one piece is real. All right, catch you later. One piece is real. So that's one piece. Any other card game stories? Uh, Actually, I think that's actually all I got for card games. Okay, cool. So I've got video game news. All right, what you playing? Well, okay, actually, actually, I do. All right, I have one more card game story, and this one is like a CBR article. Oh my god! Why do you always go to that website? I know, I know, but listen, this one could be. Uh, maybe, maybe CBR will finally have a high quality article. This is ten TCGs with the biggest ban lists ranked, which I don't actually even understand what exactly it is they're saying. Like with that. Because when you, but we're gonna we're gonna take the list one by one. One by one, he says. All right, number ten, Flesh and Blood tries to keep its ban list small but useful. Okay. Flesh and Blood's one of the newer card games surfacing in 2019. Blah 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 blah. Despite being such a young game, Flesh and Blood offers multiple formats to keep things interesting for players. Each format has its own separate ban list, ranging from non-existent to large such as when they have a format emphasizing young heroes and thus all adult heroes are banned. So that's Code number 10. Name kids Next Door. I don't really understand what that's... Like, what the list is about. Like, because they didn't say if it was a small or a big ban list, but that does sound interesting that they well, do like... Well, it's number one on the list. I guess it's the smallest ban list, right? Yeah, or, or of these 10. Of the 10. Now, that sounds kind of cool, a ban list where it's like, oh, this, is, this format's going to be about young heroes, so we ban all the adult heroes. Like, it reminds me of, like, a, a Master Duel festival type of thing. I don't understand enough about uh, Flesh and Blood. Are there lots of children in Flesh and Blood? Um, don't know. But here's number nine. Pokemon doesn't ask its players to remember much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's when they say. Yeah, these, these titles are very... They're something. Um, so, with Pokemon, there are two formats. Standard, which includes only sets going back to Sun and Moon, and Expanded, which includes other sets. Standard is managed well enough that no cards are banned, while Expanded contains a list of around two dozen cards. That makes sense. Okay, so I guess it's another game with a small ban list, is what they're saying. I mean, they're managed by rotation. I thought that Pokemon had more more lists than just Standard and Expanded. I've never heard of any more like, actual official formats. Okay. Does Pokemon? So Pokemon kind of does rotate, then. Yeah. To some degree, okay. Well, here's number eight. My Little Pony features a surprising Moving number on. of. Hey, you will skip this one. Features a surprising number of banned cards. Um. So yeah, it says that, uh, with a card game that released multiple sets, naturally they had to create a ban list with three major formats in Harmony, Core, and Block. There's a different list for all of them. Paul, do you know? Anything about what they're talking about? I really don't. I'm gonna be honest. Like I know, like I don't even understand what this list is. Like what this list is measuring because it claims it's like ten games with like the biggest ban lists ranked. So are they ranking the games or are they ranking them by the size of their ban list? Like I don't really know I what think it's. It's by the size of ban list, but I don't think I even knew there was a My Little Pony card game. So. Uh, well, number seven is, for a young game, Dragon Ball Super has banned a lot of cards. So there are actually over 50 banned cards in Dragon Ball Super. That's actually a lot. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, they say, despite the game being fairly young, its ban list is massive. There were 50 cards banned alone, with another dozen restricted to a single copy. Still, if nothing else, ideally that means there isn't too much degenerate play happening in games. This person really, I think, just needed to get an article in for the week. Yeah. And maybe that's me too, since I'm like putting it on this podcast. But but 50 banned cards is a lot. Dragon Ball Super is not, not old at all. Kind of bizarre that they've got like fifty banned cards, but only twelve limited cards. Yeah, like what's typically going like on with, in that card. Game? I look at like Yu Gi Oh, and it's like usually we have about the same amount of like banned what and unacceptable nonsense. Is their R and D team on? Yeah, I don't even. It's like what every set y'all release something that has to be like this. It has to be dealt with. Number six is Card Fight Vanguard. Offers plenty of variation. There are plenty of formats. Yeah, so Cardfight Vanguard's been going on for over a decade now. Um, Cardfight's standard ban list is rather light compared to most games, with only a handful of cards on it. The premium format, however, contains bans and restrictions for many of the game's clans. Yeah. Beginners, fortunately, only have to keep track of what's banned within the clan they're using. Oh, yeah, I forgot that there's, like, clans and stuff in um, in Cardfight Vanguard. Yeah, and so if you're playing the premium format, which runs pretty much the entire history of Cardfight Vanguard... The ban list only really matters if it's your clan, your color. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number five is Force of Will. It maintains two big ban lists. All right, we're skipping that. People don't play Force of Will anymore. Some listener plays. According to this... I'm calling um, you out. One in the listener. main Wanderer format... It's cool hearing all the different names of these formats. Um, yeah, the game is split between two major formats. The Wanderer format, which allows play of every card, aside from those from the Valhalla clusters... And then ABC format, which is meant to allow more players in one game. So it sounds like maybe a commander thing. It does sound like a commander thing. Well, in the main Wanderer format, there are two ban lists. A normal ban list and a combination ban list. Yep, that sounds dual linksy. Across both ban lists are over 60 cards. A moderate amount of new cards for players to adapt to. If nothing else, they do explain their reasoning behind banning cards in every list. It is a lot of bans, though. Okay. And that's like where. And, and by the way, like I know it sounds like I'm like summarizing. That's like what these blurbs are. By the way, no, I mean that's all I expected them to be. You're on CBR, Paul. Battle Spirits maintains a huge list of bans and limits. Huh? Now here's the thing. This is Battle Spirits' original game. Oh, the Japanese number version. four. Yeah, Battle Spirits was another game brought from Japan to the West in the 2000s. Why did they include this on the list? With an unofficial online version and English translations of the cards, fans can still enjoy the game. Keeping track of the ban and restricted list, though, is another challenge entirely. Combining both lists, players will have to remember well over 100 different cards. And that's, like, what they have to say about it. I don't think a lot of people play the Japanese Battle Spirits. I know it's a popular game, but, like, we're, we're not. I mean, that's, like, interesting because even the new Battle Spirits game is, like, struggling. So I don't know why this would be on a list. And then they, I don't even know if the new one has any banned cards. It'll be weird since they're only like three or four sets in now. Three. Speaking of that, you bought a Battle Spirits box, huh? I bought two. What was the experience like? I only spent them? 50 bucks. For both of them together? Yeah, yeah, all together it was 50 bucks. What was that like? I pulled a Sinanju. It's a, uh, it, it, that's a mobile suit from Mobile Suit Gundam. Um, Battle Spirits, their second set, they have these um, high... Uh, or these low pull rate Gundam variants of some of their cards. And it's really cool and really fire. But I wasn't going to pay full price for that. Yeah. 
the MSRP of those boxes, I assume, is like on the high end. But like maybe not worth a lot on TCG but, uh, players. Yeah, right now the price of their boxes are just so low that I was like, well, if I, I can spend 50 bucks and get two boxes and I might pull a Gundam card, I can, yeah, I can do that. I can give that a shot. I bought my two boxes. I did not feel at all bad about it. Then I pulled this Ananju, which that was the mobile suit used by Full Frontal to fight the Unicorn Gundam in Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn. Number three is Duel Masters. It features a massive hall That's of fame. That's not in the West. Uh, well, it was. Duel Masters was a popular card game Wizards of the Coast brought over to America in the early 2000s. What helped the game stand out was being uniquely designed for two-on-two matches. This is made by AI. It could be true. In America, however, the game was discontinued after only a few years. In Japan, though, it continues to run in the present with a ban list known as the, quote, Hall of Fame. Which, can I just say, that's actually a really cool name for a ban list. Like, instead of calling it a ban list, you call it the Hall of Fame. I, I, am, I hate you for deriving value out of this AI-generated article. Well, you tell me. You play, Did you play Duel Masters at all? or You, you were interested in it, Yeah, right? but, like, extremely casually with my brother. So it was in the West for at least a bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, a, it was a dual masters, and it came back as kaijudo. The pre- what? It, it was dual masters, but when it came back, it was called kaijudo. Oh, they completely rebranded it. Yeah, but it's not like a full rebrand. It's kind of like the difference between calling Yu-Gi-Oh dual monsters or not. Oh, so same game, just mm-hmm. okay. Well, anyways, the premium Hall of Fame, which is a complete ban, contains a few dozen cards, while the regular Hall of Fame acts as a restricted to one list. That's kind of, I mean, again, don't know anything about the game. I think calling it the Hall of Fame sounds kind of fun, though, so, you know. At number two, Magic the Gathering has multiple ban lists. No, yeah, in multiple formats. Yeah, so, um, according to this, what do they have to say? Uh, One thing that makes Magic stand out so much compared to other games is the sheer number of formats it has. Standard, modern, vintage, commander, they've got formats for every type of player. On all of its formats have their own restricted lists, often with dozens of cards on them. Even experienced players might have trouble keeping track of them all. I am beginning to believe this is an AI article. This isn't saying this isn't saying anything. It's just it, it these are these blurbs don't say anything more than what you would have gotten out of like summarizing like the top paragraph on a Wikipedia page. Well guess what number one is? Yu-Gi-Oh? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh has the largest ban list ever. <laughs> um, Yu-Gi-Oh might not be as old as Magic, but it does have a sizable list of banned and limited cards. Uh, a large part of this is that when it comes to the physical card game, there's only one format. Games like Master Duel and Duel Links add more, and Rush Duels are a thing in Japan. But for the physical game in the West, there's just one massive, constantly running format. Um, with that in mind, they've got cards dating back 20 years prior. There are dozens of banned cards, and even the limit and semi-limited list to keep track of. While longtime fans might not have much trouble keeping up, anyone else might have a bit of a challenge to deal with. I remember when we played the ban list game with, uh... Oh, with Larry? Larry. That, yeah. And we, yeah, yeah, his name banned cards. Name cards, and Alex was out in the very first round. <laughs> yeah, I... Okay, so... This article's crap, right? Like, it's Very. just it's just a BS See, top 10. I didn't bring any AI articles, like, articles about AI, and Paul just snuck one in. Well, I, I it probably is AI written, but it did open my eyes a bit to the fact that, yes, every game has a ban list. That's not, like, a huge surprise or anything. But the names of them are cool. Like, Hall of Fame is cool. 
for a dead game. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why this article exists. Me neither. I couldn't tell like, you. I don't CBR know. trash. I should have known not to. <laughs> like, I, I can't stand CBR. And, like, I, if the people who run CBR have a problem with that, I stand on what I said. I can't stand your website. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yu-Gi-Oh! has the biggest ban list, I guess, of all these games. Which I do I believe even, that to be true. I don't even know if that's necessarily true. I, don't I think tr- it is. I, I don't trust that this <laughs> article even did the research to like actually compare, because once again, like Duel Masters and like Battle Spirits are uh, foreign games, and I don't trust that they actually compared them. For those of you guys who like you know play a lot of these different card games, do you find? And I guess you play a lot of different card games. Do you find that like the nature of ban list is different from like game to game? Like yes, by what? A lot. Like what? causes a card to get banned kind of mm-hmm. feels like in the expectations it's completely different it's um dictated by the culture of the uh the company but also the culture of um the culture of the country the company is in mm-hmm. it feels that japanese card games view their ban lists and how they regulate their games differently from how western companies do like how would you say so um it feels like preserving your purchase is really important when it comes to um, like Japanese card games preserving your purchase they don't they don't want to ban like high rarity things that they perceive you invested money in mm-hmm. like I don't know it there's probably there might be some like gambling culture mixed in there but they will move heaven and earth to not ban like expensive things. Yeah. Then but it feels as different when it comes to um the best example for western card games like Magic the Gathering. It feels like Magic will deal with if they print a an, an unbalanced card for a given format, they'll just they'll deal with it. They will just Yeah, interesting. But not not for certain formats. For certain formats in Magic, they just say, "Hey, whatever happens happens. This is y'all format now." You know, it does make me remember that too, that like Yu-Gi-Oh, I believe, is the only game or like only major card game where it exists in in Japan and like kind of in the West, but just gets two different formats, and so you get to see both of the ideologies. Yeah, like I think Yu-Gi-Oh is a great example of clash. Like with Yu-Gi-Oh, I don't know what rarity everything in the OCG is because I know like they change them pretty a lot drastically. Of rarities are different over there, but the OCG seems like, and I think most people agree that it's a little bit more liberal with hitting things. Like, they, they kind of just knock away at cards more often. And, like, mm-hmm. decks, they'll put stuff to two, they'll put stuff to one, they'll do it a lot more quickly. Whereas in the TCG, it always kind of feels like Konami here in the West <clears throat> is more concerned with, like, like they wait and see, they'll hit one or two things, and then after, like, a year or so, they'll do, like, a big list. But generally, in the OCG, every list is pretty high impact. And there are certain things between our... TCG list and, and their OCG list that are, I just kind of stick out to me. Like, you know, everyone talks about Maxi. What I like to look at is um, uh, Dragoon. That's another one. It feels like in the OCG, Dra- Dragoon was more unacceptable than something like Maxi. Yeah. Which over here, we would never have even included those two cards in the same conversation. Like we were like Maxi is this horrible thing that I deep down want back, 
And but and Dragoon, I mean, that's just some card. Vert Anaconda is a real problem. I I think with the OCG, they seem like they're far more like they basically like view Maxi as like this is the the centerpiece of the game. Like you know, not to turn it into too much of a Maxi it's thing. It's the dowsing rod for you. It, well, it kind of. I mean, it like everything seems to revolve around it. It seems like it informs all of their card design. Like, they're able to make crazy strong combo decks or whatever because Maxi will always check it. And they're able to kind of almost lean on Maxi as a, like, obligatory. Players will be running this, so we can assume that they'll be running this, so we can do, like, this and that and all You know, I'm not sure if I like that approach all the time. Like, Maxi is still very much, like, a polarizing card. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if I like the idea that, like, they're literally taking its existence for granted a little bit and just being like, oh, we can release crazy stuff because Maxi will check it or we can release, like, we can just expect low-power kind of control decks to still have a chance because, well, Maxi exists, they'll be fine. Right. So even if we don't support it properly, we'll just let Maxi do the game balancing for us. And I'm not sure if I if I like that. I, playing Master Duel for as much as I have just the last year or two has also helped me it's like giving me a bit of a, a, a weird look at Maxi. I, so I don't know where I land on, like, is it good? Is it bad? Like, I don't know. But It's certainly a card. Yeah. Uh, anywho, though. Okay, so I've got a couple quick video game stories you can just run through. I want to mention uh, one real quick. Uh, oh, okay. This isn't video game related. It's more anime related. But uh, the Digimon Adventure 2 movie is airing in the U.S. right now. Is it? Okay. Yeah, so uh, today is the is the 8th, but you guys sing this on the 9th, which is literally the last day to see this movie in the States. So uh, if you haven't seen or you didn't know about it, uh, look it up on like Fathom Events. Uh, you can still catch the English subtitled uh, versions of the movie. Well, first of all, what is it? So it's uh, Digimon Adventure 2. That's the second season of Digimon, you know, with Davis, Vimon. That season, they're getting a movie. Uh, it's called Digimon Adventure 2 The Beginning. Uh, it tells this story about the, like, I think, I guess he's the original Digidestined. Uh, a, a new guy with a, with a Digivice and a weird Digimon. And some things are going to happen. And uh, I don't want to get into spoilers because that's what this article wants to talk about for some reason. But the first 50 people who show up every night, which is the tonight and uh, well, it's tonight for us and then tomorrow night for you guys, uh, they actually can get a special promo pack for the Digimon TCG. Oh, okay. That's an interesting tie-in. It feels very early 2000s. Yeah, it does. Uh, I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh! kind of like wrote the uh, playbook on such things. Or maybe, maybe Pokemon I think it was Pokemon. Did. Yeah, I guess Pokemon. Pokemon the movie yeah. had... Uh, it had that Mew thing. The Mew card? Yeah. I don't know if it was Mew I had a cousin Mewtwo. who had one of those. Yeah, I did not ever actually see any of the Pokemon movies in theaters. Oh, wow. Yeah, I only ever wow. saw the Yu-Gi-Oh! movie. What? So. What? 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 Hey, listen. We need to talk about this off off camera. Like, I understand. I don't. I was not actually into Pokemon cards too much as a kid. Like, the collectability wasn't there. And I guess in terms of seeing the movies, I just I had a lot of them on VHS. I mean, I had a lot. I just didn't see them in theaters. Oh. And also kind of poor. So I mean, I didn't really get to go to the theaters that much. Nobody but. paid for movies. You just kind of snuck in, and then you just walked out with everyone else. Well, you had to pay for at least one, even if you did the theater hopping thing. Depends depends on who you know. Or that. But, um, okay, cool. I mean, yeah, Digimon movie. Um, if you guys are hearing this on Thursday morning, 
Uh, and there's still a chance to get a ticket. Hurry. You have the book. I'm like, immediately. Like, yeah, because uh, you'll need it. Okay, well, I've got some quick video game stories. Um, first is this big announcement from Rockstar Games about Grand Theft Auto 6, presumably. So it's a message from Rockstar Games. Um, next month marks the 25th anniversary of Rockstar. Thanks to the incredible support of our players, we've had the opportunity to create games we're truly passionate about. Blah, blah, blah. We're very excited to let you know that in early December, we will release the first trailer for the next Grand Theft Auto. Cool. It is from Sam Hauser. It's going to be a VR game. This is neat. I know people have been looking forward to GTA 6, presumably, although they don't explicitly say that's what it's called, so it might have just a different name. It'd be called The Grand Theft Auto. Well, you know, they were used to being like, they don't really do it now, but like, I remember when the Grand Theft Auto games were called like just Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Yeah. Or Grand Theft Auto Vice City. So it wasn't like two, three, four. It was just like spinoffs and like names and subtitles. But anyway, um, yeah, I know a lot of people are looking forward to Grand Theft Auto 6. Um, I remember there was like that huge leak of it maybe last year or something. Oh, yeah. I remember something along those lines. Someone leaked just a bunch of developmental footage and like it didn't look great. But also it's because like it's a game that's supposed to be coming out in like 2026 or something. So, of course, it didn't look great and... Then people were, like, angry at the person who leaked it because they're like, now Rockstar's going to, like, not release it on time. And there was, like, a, a lot of that. Um, did you play many, like, GTA? I, did, I never played any? a single uh, Grand Theft Auto game. To be completely honest, I did not play much of it either. I had some uh, friends yeah. who did, though. My mom heard about Grand Theft Auto on TV, you know, during the uh, whole boom of uh, video, video games, games are, are turning kids. kids into murderers. Yeah. So my my mom didn't know much about video games, but she knew to keep us away from Grand Theft Auto. And when my yeah. cousin came over with a copy of Grand Theft Auto, my mom would like jumped into action. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> Lean over. Yeah, I uh, I did not play very much Grand Theft Auto myself, but that's probably more a product of me just being like more of a Nintendo kid. Yeah, I, I've heard that you Nintendo kids, you just reject anything that uh, the mainstream likes. You're we, like the we reject anything rated of M. video games. <laughs> We can't play. We're still under 17 at heart. <laughs> oh, there's something dark in there, but we're not getting into all that. I mean, anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is cool. I, I will say that one like, kind of funny and strange part is, like, announcement of an announcement is always bizarre to me. Oh, that's the video game industry. That's like, yeah, it's like more and more we're getting this, like, okay, guys, I'm going to announce something big next week. Stay tuned. And it's like, well, then just announce it then. Like, yeah, I will. Just, but I gotta let you know to be ready. Yeah, like, I don't know. I've never really, like, I guess I get it because it, it extends the media coverage wave where it's just like, because people are talking about this announcement today, and then they'll be tuning in next week to talk about that announcement. So it's like you do get to increase your, like, time in the limelight and stuff, turn your, like, 15 minutes of fame into, like, 20. And I do think a big part about video game rollouts and releases is gauging the uh, is like looking at engagement for the announcements. So if you can tent pull the announcement, you can draw, you can get even more engagement for the announcement, which yep. makes the game ev seem even more popular when the announcement goes live. And it also, in a lot of cases, you get even more for people to talk about afterwards because it's like, what they got us hyped up for this, this sucked, or like you know whatever. Like it's there's like. People have more going into it because it wasn't, it didn't take them off guard. So they had this like sort of incubation period to just get hyped. And then the thing happens and now they can, 
gauge was my hype accurately you know rewarded or whatever it does help the content creators plan their uh, content rollouts around it as well true good point like you get the announcement of the announcement so you get to make your video about the announcement of the announcement and then you get to plan for your video your lot your reaction to the announcement because you know exactly when it's going to be mm-hmm. and then you can plan for like you're like one week later when you collect when you've collected your thoughts and passions have run have cooled down. Yeah, I really think they they maybe take a bit of advantage of like. I guess this is every like fandom and stuff, but just taking advantage of kind of nerds just like just being excited. Just us nerds just being happy and excited and like hyped for stuff because. You know, like if this if this happened like fifteen ten fifteen years ago, just the trailer would just kind of just appear one day and. Yeah, but then you might risk some of those day one like engagement numbers. It's not everyone will know what happened. Yeah, so I'm interested in this. I probably won't really even be playing this game, but I am interested in seeing just what it looks like. Honey, and... But you'll be playing your third Legend of Zelda game, won't you? No, actually, I don't even play that many of those. <laughs> but that is uh, a great segue into Nintendo announces live-action Zelda movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this. Mm-mm. In an official press release, Nintendo announced that Miyamoto will be partnering with Avi Arad of Arad Productions, chairman of the studio behind Marvel hits such as Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and video game movies such as Uncharted. Uh, the film itself is set to be directed by Wes Ball, director of the popular Maze Runner movie franchise. Did you ever see that or read I'm those books? I'm familiar with Maze Runner. Okay. It will be funded 50% by Nintendo and 50% by Sony. Um, I'm gonna tell y'all right now, Tom Holland isn't playing Link. Who is? I wonder. Like I, ne- I'm not gonna lie. I never. I know that they're doing this because like the Super Mario movie was popular. It's gonna be Timothy Chalamet. I'm just gonna be honest with you. That's who's gonna be playing him. Like, I so okay. So here's the thing. It's a Legend of Zelda movie, a, a franchise where like the characters already really like didn't talk before like npcs talk and it was like text boxes but like link was you know he was the silent hero and so it's like it's gonna be a little weird to see on screen like characters not just like talking but like really acting and stuff i mean look we saw the mario movie well true but i think it's like a little bit different for zelda since like it's a little more mature and stuff i don't know who do you think will like be do you think that they'll like cast like I guess, of course, they're probably going to cast adults. But I think it'd be interesting if, like, Link was, like, more of, like, a young boy. Well, they're probably going to cast young. Um, often, more times than not, they typically try to plan for the future. Yeah, like the sequel. So, my feelings in a matter of, they're going to they're gonna go for a young Link. Mm-hmm. So that he can age up with the role as they do multiple movies. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. And same with, like, Zelda. Uh, Zelda's supposed to be, like, slightly older than Link, but, like, more or less the same age. It just kind of depends on which sort of continuity you go with. But they need, they need, they, we don't need Zelda, we need Tetra. That's we, another thing, too, is I wonder what all Waker. extra characters will be. Because, like, I know there are, like, different Zelda characters. I'm not super familiar with them, but, like... Wind Waker is the greatest Legend of Zelda game to ever exist. One of my favorites, It's yeah. also one of the only ones I've played. I've played Wind Waker, I've played Twilight Princess... That's it. Uh, I played Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, Wind Waker. I haven't played Ocarina of Time. I know that's supposed to be like the... I played my cousin's copy of Ocarina of Time. Okay. Did not finish it. Well. The hurricane took it. I, look, it's not my fault, guys. Um, cool. I wonder who will play Ganondorf. 
Because he that's actually that's like a huge role. That's a big role, but it's also like someone who's like older. I can't wait to see Jack Black singing as Ganondorf. Oh, please don't let that happen. <laughs> I, I, that's another thing too is I hope that they maybe make this a little more serious than like the Mario movie was. Because I loved the Mario movie to be clear, but like it's very much like a kids movie. I, mean, I, I expect through. Mario to be like a goof fest. Zelda though. I also like hot take. I think it might have been better as like a. I think I would have preferred it like as like an animated movie. I think it would have been, I think it would have been more easily uh, like palatable if it were animated, since you know it's a video game. It's always been like three D CG type thing, but you know, like Zelda gives me like Studio Ghibli vibes. I could see that. Like just something that's like an animated that. anime sort of deal. But it's gonna be live action, so let's just hope it's not like the last Airbender. Oh dear Lord! Yeah, let's hope it's not like that. Well, cool. That's all my video game news. Dope, 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 dope. Uh, you ready to draw some cards? Yeah. Let's do some pot. On the podcast. Yep, just live on camera. Don't ban us, YouTube. All right, what I got here? Okay, let me grab a card. All right. So, Paul, what does Yu-Gi-Oh! do better than other TCGs? What does Yu-Gi-Oh! do better than other TCGs? Uh, hmm. Mm. Okay, I, my go-to answer for this is actually obvious to me now I think about it. Yu-Gi-Oh!'s tournament, uh, organized play system, and everything that goes within it, from like how we get events to how we run events to the judge system, it's, be, it's better than pretty much every card game I've messed around with. I haven't really gotten into Magic tournament scene, so I can't speak to them. Yeah. But everything else... Yeah, 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 Yu-Gi-Oh! Kicks their butts. Yeah, when you say, uh, so, like, in what ways? Oh, I mean, across the board, the ability for shops to be able to hold regionals and even larger scale events, the, um, the system in which to, like, register and, like, track your points, while dated, is still better. Yeah, I know. You've told me some horror stories about, like, Bandai's sort of different solutions for, like, There's how to no run excuse. tournaments. There's and... no excuse why Bandai's system can be just so middling when... Yeah. It's strange to me because Bandai runs so many card games. You'd think so, it, would, it, it would be, like, a higher priority to make sure that there's, like, a really good system in place. It, it shouldn't be that complicated. Well, I'll say... Uh, I agree with you. I think that Yu-Gi-Oh! does not get enough credit... For how um, how like kind of airtight they keep their judge program and like kind of their prizing systems are they they are kept very airtight. Mm-hmm. I know um, we've told this story before, but like we've gone to events for other card games where like the judges don't really have like a uniform, like you know, like a Yu Gi Oh event. The judges look like everyone else. Yeah, the judges are just wearing like flip flops and jeans, but like. At Yu-Gi-Oh events, judges wear all black. They wear, like, down to the black shoes and everything and the judge shirt and stuff. And so they keep it very... I remember at TCG Con where they were running multiple card game tournaments at the same time. And sometimes they even had to share judges between the events. But even wilder than that, when you were looking for a judge, you 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 couldn't find them. Yeah, it's hard to really distinguish a judge. And so it's, like, those little things that I do think... Konami has done a better job. Maybe it's just a matter of them having more time, you know, just mm-hmm. doing these things. They've had to get more kind of strict and proper about it. 
or just because like other card games are newer, they might be run by younger people or just like less staffed or whatever. Gameplay wise, uh, I think that Yu Gi Oh. What is the question? What does Yu Gi Oh do or Konami do better than other TCGs? Hmm. Gameplay wise, I think Yu Gi Oh is just more like self expressive. Like it's higher octane. You can kind of like, I see it, I play it. So like, if I see a card, if I topic a card, like. I am able to, like, activate it. And so I can kind of get creative with my combos. I can get, you know, I can do a lot. And other games move a little more slowly. So even though you get a more tempered experience, it sometimes doesn't feel like in Magic the Gathering that you can, like, maybe make a a fast comeback. And I think for some people, like, that's what they want. They want something that kind of feels more slower and you have to kind of work turn over turn to accumulate these resources or kind of set up a win condition in your board state. But in Yu-Gi-Oh, it's very fast, and the answers to things are also very fast. So it's like, as I'm comboing, the hand traps are coming, like, they're raining down from turn one. Or, like, the moment that my turn ends and I've set up my big board, like, the things to break it, like the evenlies, the lightning storms, the droplets, no more, whatever, like, are, like, big cards. Like, it, it's very fast and very intense. Yeah, lots of gas, lots of just in- intensity and... So I think that's uh, in a world where people do want a lot of like instant gratification and stuff like that. I think that Yu-Gi-Oh, in that way at least, serves its intended audience pretty well. It could get mixed, but I would say that it does that better. Okay. Okay, my question. Very fitting. Pot to one. Like pot of greed. I'm assuming what this person's talking about. I remember actually I saw this comment and this we, person there's a pot at one right here. Yeah. I saw this comment and this person actually cited um their reasoning as well, um, there are other pot cards released now that are just as good if not better, and that most decks would prefer to search nowadays anyway, and that every deck's so crazy and strong, what what difference would it make? So I've been going back and forth on this like pot of greed unbanned thing for a while. What do you think? Like pot of greed coming to one. I think it's probably fine. Um I think we were going to complain with it at one and without it at one. If I see my pot of greed going first and it enables me to do some crazy combo that locks my opponent out the game, you know, they might complain that, oh, well, he only won because he saw his pot of greed, and so he had like six cards when he started the game. But um, it could have been a pot. It could have been like a pot of prosperity. It could have been... It could have been any number of the unfair cards in this game that gave me the resources I needed to do my my like unbreakable combo. I think Pot's just one more of those really good cards. Yeah, so I don't disagree. Um, I guess, wh- so for a while I thought maybe Pot Agreed could come back to one. Mm-hmm. And I still technically don't disbelieve <clears throat> that it could. Um, it's just that, because like the reason why... Like, all these pot cards are so strong. Extravagance, prosperity, and everything is because the value of a single card in Yu-Gi-Oh! is so high now. Like, a single card can be full combo for a lot of decks, right? Like, I'm running this many starter cards, and, like, this starter card leads into full combo. That's, like, how every deck profile video goes. It's like, this is this goes full combo, bro. You'll go plus 20. And so, like, because every individual card is so strong and every individual card can like lead to so much Mm -hmm. and that it's really always comes down to like draw the out or like have this thing, the ability to see a specific card you need or just even just have a chance at seeing it is 
paramount to like winning in a lot of cases. There are top players right now who want Pot of Prosperity banned. Um, and in Master Duel, they've already put Prosperity to one a while back. And in this new ban list that's taking effect like tomorrow, they are um, Extravagance is going to be going to one mm-hmm. as well. And the OCGs kind of toyed around with like moving a few pot cards in the past. I know like the TCG put Desires to two. I think what we're realizing more and more and more is that like pot cards probably should all just be banned. And by all, I mean like the the four like relevant ones. But I mean, the OCG also has max C, so they're not hurting for draw power. Yeah, and th- that's a whole different. I'm not even gonna listen. Max, I, you know. You brought up the OCG. I know there's a lot to say with like Max C, but you mean OC Max C. OCC. O Max C. But yeah, like so part of me is like, well, Pot of Greed could come back because we've got like prosperity and some people argue it's like technically better than Pot of Greed. I also just think though that like what we're really saying is like this these pot cards are just good. Like to the extent that like there are so many good cards in Yu-Gi-Oh that any card that lets you see good cards for like free effectively is like part of the problem. But then maybe it's like, well, maybe the cards are the problem, not the pot cards. Like by that I mean like Maybe Pot of Prosperity and Desires and Extravagance and Greed would not be so bad if cards themselves did not do so much. Because if you think about how strong, like, a... Like, if I make a big board, and the only way that you could possibly out it is by seeing, like, raw sphere mode, right? And you used Prosperity and dug six deep and you saw it, or you saw your Dark Ruler no more, whatever, then, like, suddenly you swing that game to your favor. And it feels unfair. I feel sacked. You aren't supposed to see that because you didn't draw that card, right? Like so, no, you drew it. You know, well, no, you didn't draw it in your opening hand. You should have had to draw. You know, so but you got to it with your prosperity, so that's unfair. So that makes prosperity unfair. They should ban that card. But it's like, well, should they or should they ban like sphere mode or should they be banning the all the negates? Like it, it goes on. Like just, it's what's the real issue? And so to answer the question, I do not have an answer. I think it's probably safer that pot agreed just stays banned for now because I don't know that it would help being back like i don't know if that would help anything what if konami banned all pot cards currently in the game and brought pot of greed up to one yeah i guess that's okay i mean you you, you run it <laughs> yeah you'd be crazy not to i don't know where i land on these pot cards i, I actually that would like to hear from listeners though if anybody's got like a, yeah, a what profound are your opinion what do you think about the legality of pot it's a very interesting question, an age-old question. Let me dig for another card here. What do I got? What do I got? Oh, okay, yeah, so this is a hot take. Uh-oh. <clears throat> the game is one of the worst states it's ever been in, and product has never been more expensive, and casuals will never be recognized by Konami. That's the hot take. Mm-hmm. Oh Jesus! All right. Yeah. Um, well, we gotta take these one by one. You kind of, we kind of have to go step by step. So, Paul, do you think the game is in a the in one of its worst states? I don't know what this person means by this comment, so I don't want to presume to know like too much. So I'll just yeah, they wrote it. I'll okay. I'll assume maybe some of what they mean, and perhaps it's right. So the game in the worst state it's like ever been in. They could be talking about the meta game. It, if if that's true, then I would argue it's all right right now. It depend, I think that actually is also a two sided thing. It depends on how you judge the health of a meta game. 
Do you judge it by diversity or do you judge it by lack thereof? Well, right now the metagame is pretty diverse. Mm-hmm. That's been proven at the last couple of YCS events. There have been a lot of just different varieties of decks topping and all that. So definitely diverse. A lot of decks feel like they have a chance of winning. I think most average players would consider that like a pretty good thing. Um, now, zooming out to just like what modern Yu-Gi-Oh! maybe looks like in general, where there's like a lot of plays and a lot of cards... You can be dissatisfied with that, but then in that case, I would argue that it's not the worst day it's ever been, and it's just part of this. You know what I mean? Like, we've, you know. So, if they're talking about the format, I disagree. I don't think it's, like, the worst it's ever been. If they're talking about, like, maybe the whole price and, like, product value thing, well, as far as prices go, like, SP, That's the second That's question. the second one? And product has never been more expensive. Okay, so, well, so they're probably talking about the format on the first one, which I think is okay. What else could, like, worst state it's ever been in? Maybe card design? I think card design's all right right now. I don't, I don't know that it's any I mean, better or worse card than... card design right now. I, I'm not a fan. Go on. These hyper-invasive cards that just do things on your opponent's board during their turn. Oh, you're to... not a fan of the, the mm-hmm. our turn decks? No. Not gonna lie, those are... Those are probably on, on the more annoying end of the scale for me, too. I, I, I didn't like what TR Elements or Castero were. I like that they're now both nerfed enough so that, like, they can play but not invade so much. So. But we, still keep, we see it in card design now that that is just a legitimate thing that will be in Yu-Gi-Oh! moving forward. It's just, yeah, these cards about to violate you, bro. Yeah, I mean, they are. Like, honestly, these cards are going to gonna reach into places that they aren't supposed to and see things they're not supposed to see. And they'll Soon you'll be playing cards out of your opponent's hand. <laughs> Funny, actually, that was the case. And yet, it's, it's a technically possible now. Exchange. <laughs> no, but, I don't know, I don't think that, like, it's in some unbearable state. I think what we experienced a lot of power creep in the past year, but right now is not so bad. Like, Diabell Star seems, hate to use this word, like, healthy. Like, it seems like it's fine, um, Unchained and like Infernoble, like I, th- I think most people see those as like fine, like it's you know they're strong but they're fine. Okay, what's the second one? So product has never been more expensive. What do you think? And actually, I had thoughts about this one. Uh, I think that's distinctly wrong. I remember looking at old like Teledad like lists and how expensive the cards were during that format, and um. I don't actually think this is the most expensive Yu-Gi-Oh's ever, ever been. been yeah. I remember when Minerva was a prize card and was playable. She was like good, and she, and she came after like Crush Card Virus, which is actually a prize card. Yeah, and and still played in like a current deck. Okay, so as far as the price thing goes, I don't think it's that bad, but I get where it's it's really two cards. Like it, it's ultimately SP Little Knight and Triple Tactics Thrust. And they're both 100 bucks, and I get that. That is not great. I've given my views on this. I think They that are strong. They are strong cards. I feel that like Konami would be... They. I think that they should go ahead and like print, like reprint these cards sooner rather than later. Just go ahead and like let people play the cards. But everything else, I mean, thanks to like Rarity Collection and stuff, you can get Prosperity, Thrust, How many Barone, all this stuff. Like, easy pickings. I do want a Chaos Angel, though. When's that going to get a reprint? Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. That needs a Come reprint. On, so it's like, but I don't know. I don't. I also will say this. I'm not saying that this like validates any of it, but just that it's, it is a, a relevant truth. There's like 
basically no year of Yu-Gi-Oh that hasn't had like a $100 card. Yeah. Like whether we're talking, you know, the Dark Arm Dragon Age or like Tour Guide in like 2012 or so, Cosmo Dark Destroyer, that was 100 bucks. Like we've, uh, you know, Dragonic Dagger, I remember that being like $80. You know, there there've always been like $100. I mean, even like Access Code a year or two ago and stuff like that like that's us because of the market. Konami's not telling us to, like, price them that high. So, like, I don't want to say that, like, well, it's always been that way, so that makes it fine. Because I disagree. I still think, like, these cards should be reprinted faster and, like, it should be easier to get. But I just wouldn't say that it's distinctly bad now compared to, say, some amount of years ago. Uh, that's And that, that's kind of what I was getting at is that... uh the market has always been kind of terrible when it comes to Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, it's always been rough. We, we we put ourselves in these positions time and time again. It might feel worse right now because you may be you may not like the current format, and so you also don't like the prices. So it all compounds like an overall worse opinion. But there's actually one more part to this. Okay. Uh, casuals will never be recognized by Konami. I don't understand what they mean by that. Paul... I, oh, okay, I have a hunch. What is a casual? Yeah, see, that's where it gets fun. I don't know. Like, I don't know what... And when I hear people say these things, we're like, this person's clearly pretty angry, right? They're not, like, super happy with the state of things. And, like, in a broad sense, I can relate. I've made, like, videos where I'm like, yeah, like, Yu-Gi-Oh's kind of... It's a little rough right now. But I do think it's important to, like, define what you mean when you're, like, kind of making these sorts of complaints. Because, like... Konami has not, like, recognized casuals. But haven't they? No. I mean, there's a lot of, like, anime support stuff that comes out. Like, are it, we talking about that kind of casual? Yeah, it depends on how you define them. Because you can even look at um, someone who plays competitive decks, but they only play at locals. Like, they don't try to compete any higher than that. In a sense, they're still casual. Because they're not trying to compete. Yeah, like, I think, like... I mean, I'll just take a few different ideas of what casual could be. If you're talking anime, mm-hmm. then this year we've gotten, like, you know, Maze of Memories gave the support for, like, BLS. Gate um, Guardian. Gate Guardian. We've already gotten announcements of, like, Ubell stuff coming just in a few months. And, like, so that's kind of a thing, I'm right? excited for that. Or even if you want to, like, kind of stretch it, like, the Horus support, right? It's still kind of like that old school era of Yu-Gi-Oh being oh, catered I, to. I need the amnesty thing to come down some before it can be casual. So there's that. Uh, but then also, like, as far as casual formats go, Speed Duel got a really good product this year. Yeah. Um, they've been running time wizard formats at YCS events. And if you're playing, like, so Edison, like Edison and stuff, go. I feel like that is a definition of casual. Yeah, or, or something. I mean, it, it certainly is an interpretation of casual. It is certainly a casual. Yeah, and then also, like... Rarity collection, I think, appeals to like casual or at least budget players. I feel like that's like how you're defining it. Everyone, like, yeah, the only people rarity collection should not appeal to are people who have literally all these cards and don't want any more of them. So, I mean, I I don't know, I I don't think that Konami is really doing anything explicitly wrong here, like, or ignoring casual players because this person, their by their wording, like, you know, casuals have not been recognized. But I think that they have. You could argue that, uh, if anything, Konami doesn't recognize competitive players. Yeah, there's like I'm not really like, sure what they mean by this. Competitive players, I feel like, don't get a lot of preferential treatment when it comes to Yu-Gi-Oh. They, um, the prize pools aren't stellar. Yeah. 
there's not a lot of there's no like reward for being good at Yu-Gi-Oh. I think the reward is kind of what you have to Yeah. You you just kind of the it's in here. They don't get like seated in these tournaments. Sort of. They have the VIP thing. They okay, they do have the VIP. Although like, you can't get a new one now or you sort of can, can you not? Well, you can some YCSs have like these pre-VIP qualifier mm-hmm. things. So like that's technically a thing, but it's anyway. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think that I'm going to be honest. I think this is one of those comments where it's a person who's so angry with so many things that they kind of aren't able to appreciate the smaller things that, or like just the, it's like you can have a few distinct complaints about something Mm -hmm. and they can color your experience so much that you can't see all the good. That is a fact. And that's like, to me, like that's like Yu-Gi-Oh! I've had times with Yu-Gi-Oh! like that Mm -hmm. where um, I was so upset with like my, my like top two favorite decks being like, poor, just bad, weak decks that the entirety of Yu-Gi-Oh just looks so much worse to me because my decks suck and these new products suck and these tournaments suck and Konami hates me. Yeah, and it's very easy to just kind of turn into like, just it's Konami's fault, they hate everyone, they hate everything, they're killing Yu-Gi-Oh and like, it's just not what it should be. My thing with that is again i've been there i think people know i've got a bit of a reputation apparently for being like a Yu-Gi-Oh hater I don't and know a maxi hater. apologist and a maxi apologist i think what you have to do is just remember that like even if you are not like happy with it it doesn't mean that other people aren't happy with it and like just because you think that something like this would be the best course of action for konami to take does not mean it is the best course of action for konami to take it just means because, like, if you, if Konami was to, like, listen to angry comments like this all day, they might end up in, like, a Bandai situation, right? Reversing a ban list, like, in five days because yeah. people were a little sad that their card got hit. Like, I don't, the Yu-Gi-Oh community could never handle that. We'd implode. So, and, like, we all know, like, Yu-Gi-Oh players, none of us know what's best. We don't. We, we think we do. We get on here and think, like, hey, what is this game? He's going to tell you without this card. We don't know. So. All we have are our personal opinions. All right, the final question is favorite alt summoning method. By alt summoning method, what this person means, because I remember reading this comment, um, like, you know how Zodiacs can, like, overlay on top of, like, kind of without having two materials? or oh, like rank up. Yeah, rank ups. So, yeah, like, rank up spells, um, contact fusions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, those sorts of alternative approaches to, like, extra deck summons and stuff. Which is your like favorite style of ha- that it's been done? Ritual spell as ritual summons. When it, taking the the spell out of ritual summoning. Oh, so you're talking about what is that archetype called? Starts with a megalith. Things like that, yeah. Yeah, things like megalith. Mostly because I feel that uh, light contact fusing it just it makes such a painful mechanic a little bit less. Yeah, rituals always kind of been the brunt of the the runt, I guess, of the summoning type. So anytime that they can make ritual even just a little better, it's, you know, just, I, I remember when they made like, uh, what was it? The Pinsaplume and the other, what were oh, those yeah, called? Oh yeah, the, um, uh, not, I won't, why do I want to call them Malaceverous? Yeah, they weren't Malaceverous, but. <laughs> Incantations. The, the Incantations, I always thought that was like a really cool thing. Um, as for me, I think my favorite's like rank up spells. And I always found rank up spells really cool because they, in terms of, like, aesthetic and, like, I guess, flavor, it kind of seemed cool to me that, like, Z's monsters have ranks, 
And so like ranking up felt like, like, okay, it goes from rank three to rank five. And there were, I'm thinking of rank of magic astral force specifically in this case. I always thought that was cool because I hadn't noticed it at first, but for every like rank three or four monster, there was usually a rank five or six that was thematically the same Mm -hmm. and kind of vaguely implied to be what you're supposed to rank up you can thank the anime for that. So yeah, like Ghost Trick Alucard could rank up into that uh the Xyz vampire monster. I don't remember what it was at the time. Um the name of it. But it goes rank five. Oh, Brom. Yeah, Brom. And then there was also like um Volcasaurus was a rank five monster. Mm-hmm. And it ranked up from a Grenosaurus, which was a rank three. But a Grenosaurus was one of the first Xyz to come out. Yeah. And Volcasaurus came a bit later, and I didn't really see any connection between them. But then when like Astral Force came out, I was like, oh, yeah, you can go from like this to this. And so, and there were a lot of different instances of that, and I always thought that was a kind of a cool thing. And it felt balanced because it's not just like, okay, I can just lay it on top, like with no effort or trouble. You leave Zeus alone. I know, yeah. It's not but, Zeus um, or Typhon or Arise Heart. I didn't include, or I, I didn't uh, choose rank ups because. If in the in the actual card game, rank ups have had to become like so broken to be played. That's true. Yeah, they always kind of like push these strategies so far. Because what I'm thinking of like the seventh one, like they just had they just had to do ev- put every effect in that rank up card to make us play it. Because like, so you want me to take two monsters and overland, and then you want me to magically just up, get this rank up spell and then play it. So I need to use three cards to make one. Yeah, it, it it's a rough time. I, I think with um, with like rank ups, that was always going to be a little tough. Anytime, anytime a spell is required, because mm-hmm. like you can even see with fusion, like they've kind of gradually tried to either take the spell out of the equation or make the spell just so like branded fusion levels of strong that it basically is the do everything card. So. Something that helps fusion is that the, the materials get sent to the graveyard. So that can trigger like different Other effects. Stuff, so yeah. that's helped fusion kind of stay pay around. for it a little. But yeah, um, I would say yeah, mine's rank up. Cool, but that means that's it. Yeah, except so for the pot of greed for the week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you enjoyed. As always, let us know what uh, what you thought of any of the stories that we talked about today. Yeah, we, it was a pretty diverse conversation, though it all found its way back to you. Yeah. And thank you guys, of course, for your five-star or other positive reviews on Spotify, Apple, anywhere else. And if you have to leave a negative one, it's okay. Make sure you list Paul by name as P-A-U-L. Wow, thanks. (laughs) All right, that's going to be it. We'll see you guys next week. Past Past turn. turn.